This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Mastering Innovation on Business Radio. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Mastering Innovation on Sirius XM's Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Nikolai Zikolko, co-director of the Mac Institute for Innovation Management and a professor of management here at Wharton. First of all, I'm thrilled to welcome Jenna Berra, uh, who leads the innovation department at Heineken USA. Uh, Jenna first joined Heineken in November 2016 after she was at PepsiCo for seven years, uh, playing there a role in brand management and innovation. Jenna, welcome to the show and thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. All right a director of innovation at a beer company. I think this sounds like a dream job to many of our listeners, right? And it probably is a dream job, but first please tell us, what do you actually really do? <laughs> well, we just sit around, we drink beer all day. I know, that's what I thought, and innovate around that. Yeah, so um, thanks for having me. Um, so what do we do here at Heineken USA? Um, well, it's all about how we can uh, innovate in new spaces for Heineken and for beer in general. So just a bit of context for those who don't know the beer market super well in the U.S., um, but Heineken has about 4% share of the market here. So when we think about innovation, we really think about what are incremental white spaces and new occasions that we can bring our great products into. So we spend a lot of time thinking about new occasions for beer. We spend a lot of time thinking about new trends that are coming up. But overall, my department is responsible for all new product packaging and business models that mm -hmm. we launch in order to ultimately sell more beer to more consumers. Mm -hmm. Now, the way you just described it, right, uh, you said you know, we have 4% market share and we want to grow. Uh, and so there are obviously two different ways. One way is let's try to steal some market share from someone else. Uh, or the second was just try to grow the pie, right? And even if we keep our market share, we're growing our sales. Uh, which of those two approaches is sort of uh, closer to your heart? So we are very much interested in how we grow the pie. Um, for those who know the go-to-market system in the U.S., it, it's a complicated three-tier system, which has distributors in between mm -hmm. retailers and brewers. And what that means is that we don't have our own sales force that's able to go and, and stock the shelves. So it becomes even more critically important that we come out with innovations that truly drive the category. Mm -hmm. um, and we're seeing a lot of growth uh, in the marketplace with things like wine and spirits. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of understanding of what's working well there and how can we make beer relevant in some of those occasions. Mm -hmm. So obviously this will rely on understanding the customer <laughs> and uh, almost every uh, guest we have on this uh, show is all about customer understanding and learning more about our customer. Uh, can you tell us a bit of the efforts underway at Heineken kind of to understand this, particularly as you are saying, because sometimes it's a bit harder for you to have direct contact to your customers, uh, more difficult than in other industries? Definitely. Um, I'd say for us, it, it operates on three different levels. So the first of which is all about trends. So what are the things that we see happening in the marketplace? And that, that has to be beyond beer. Um, so we have a consumer insights team that has a great model, which is all about how do we see the trends that are coming um, towards us? So 
Um, how do we see things like people being more concerned about the environment or people mm-hmm. looking for personalization in their consumption? And, and we watch those pretty closely. Um, obviously, digital has allowed us to do that in a more data-driven way. So mm-hmm. now we have tools that can show us what people are talking about more and getting real-time updates of how trends are navigating over time. Mm-hmm. So I would say that's probably the first. Um, the second is all about diving into specific white spaces that we want to look at for the future. So if there's a new occasion that we think is interesting, how do we get out and talk to consumers about that occasion? Mm-hmm. So we do a lot of ethnographies. We do a lot of consumer groups. Um, and really just trying to get to the consumers where we think it's interesting. Just one anecdote, we have a, a, a super cool machine um, called the Sub, which is in the marketplace, which is a, a draft beer machine at home. So mm-hmm. things sort of like Nespresso of yep. beer. Um, and one of our hypotheses was that we thought it might be interesting for um, salons, um, so people to enjoy a beer while they were getting their hair cut. Uh-huh. So instead of hiring an expensive uh, insights agency, my team just got their hair cut a lot for a month <laughs> <laughs> and okay. went and spoke to people, Yeah, yeah. Um, uh-huh. which was actually a really great way to validate that it wasn't such a big opportunity, but uh-huh. we all looked very sharp um, and had very short hair. So. Yeah. So, yeah, really getting out and and talking to consumers Mm -hmm. is is the second. And then the third is obviously in the world of e-commerce, being able to really understand trends in data, especially with consumers who are purchasing our products, Mm -hmm. why they're purchasing, how they're repurchasing, what types of people are they. Um, So we do as much as we can to get some of that first-party data to help us understand how we innovate in the future. Yeah. So you mentioned it as one of the trends that you're looking at this uh, trend towards personalization, right? And everyone wants to have a curated offering and everything needs to be kind of personalized to the individual customer. Now, at the same time, you know, you are at some level uh, somewhat of a mass manufacturer, right? Uh, It's hard for you to customize uh, each uh, content of each beer can that you're selling. So what, what can you do kind of along the personalization route? Definitely. So personalization, I think, takes a lot of forms mm-hmm. and a lot of way that people like to um, demonstrate their own personal interests and their own personal tastes is by exploration of variety. Mm-hmm. And so what Heineken really has going for us is, yes, we have the Heineken brand, but we also um, operate in 192 countries with over 200 brands. So um, what we've been able to do with a lot of our innovation, um, so the the sub being a good example of it, if you check out draftforhome.com, you can order draft beer, but you can get beers from all over the world. And so that might mean for you that you are more of a lager drinker, so you stock your basket with a Dos Equis lager and a Heineken lager and a Tiger. Um, but I might be more of a craft beer connoisseur, and so we bring in Aflahem and Brand Up from the Netherlands um, and Mortsubit, which is a, one of our sour beers from Belgium, to give people the opportunity to express mm-hmm. their customization. Mm-hmm. So um, what we really have going for us is a, a real breadth of brands from around the world and mm-hmm. using that as much as we can to allow consumers to choose the beers that are well-suited for them. Right. And so 
obviously tasting is one way to find out what one likes but how else uh, kind of again how else do you help your customer right I, i can just imagine sitting in front of 200 different brands and saying where do we even start now this may be a, not a bad problem to have but it's <laughs> still uh, other ways you can you can help your customer kind of uh, narrow down the things that they might want to actually enjoy and try sure so We, our consumer insights team does a lot of work on repertoires, mm -hmm. which basically demonstrates that if you are the type of person that drinks a Mexican lager, the types of beers that you're most likely to drink, and this is based on purchase data, mm -hmm. so this is based on Walmart, so people who drink Mexican lagers tend to have these types of products in their basket. Mm -hmm. So we can say that Not everybody drinks the same brands, but we know that loyalty is very hard in this category and most categories. I mean, I came from breakfast cereal at Pepsi where people were buying up to 16 boxes of cereal, um, and it's the same in beer, that there's very few people who drink only one brand. Right. So what we can say is if you drink a certain type of beer, you're more likely statistically to also like these other types of beers associated mm -hmm. with it. So mm -hmm. that allows us to communicate to those guys in sort of a repertoire perspective mm -hmm. and say, if you've tried Heineken, why not try Tiger beer? Right. Um, because it has a similar taste profile and a similar ease of drinking that we think you might enjoy. Right. So that is sort of right learning from the population at large, right, and learning from that to sort of predict what individuals want. Um, how much are you able to learn about individuals? And again, and partly I'm asking because, again, sometimes you may have a harder time actually getting to the data of the individual customer since you're not directly having the touch point to the customer, right? Yeah, no, and, and obviously within the um, legal system of right. the U.S., it's specifically yep. set up so that we don't talk to those people. Right. But I think that that's the importance of ethnographies getting uh -huh. out into the market and speaking to people as much as we can. You right. know, Heineken is one of the um, biggest sponsors of Major League Soccer and Coachella and all mm -hmm. of these great festivals. And all of those, we see them as opportunity to really get in and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with people mm -hmm. and say, try this beer. Tell us why you like it. Tell us if you don't like it. Tell us why. Mm -hmm. um, and get more into the individual minds of the consumer. Yeah. Um, it's just we have to be a bit more creative about it based on the way the legal structure right. is set up in this country. Okay. Now, again, you mentioned, right, you have so many different brands. And that, of course, again, raises sort of interesting questions of how to actually do a digital strategy, right? And uh, I think you've played around a little bit with uh, websites that have only one brand on it, websites that have multiple brands on it. Can you tell us a little bit of what your experiences has been of right, sort of having to curate a whole, whole set of brands and then how to, how to try to get sort of awareness of the customers to, to, to come to your site, for instance? Yeah, so I think it depends on what your objective is in total. So our biggest three brands that we have um, in the U.S. are Heineken, Dos Equis, and Tecate, which have very different targets and brand positioning. So a lot of the time we will run those individually. But mm -hmm. for example, Dos Equis and Tecate are both Mexican authentic beers from Mexico. So when we think about for example, Cinco de Mayo activations, that's a great opportunity to reach a broad set of people who Tecate appeals typically to a more Hispanic consumer than mm -hmm. Dos Equis, which is more of a mainstream consumer. Yeah. So 
we find there are opportunities to combine them um, and to be able to really activate against them in a way that a- appeals to a broad set of consumers. Mm-hmm. Now, when you bring it to digital and you bring it to e-commerce specifically, what we see time and time again, no matter if you're selling six packs or if you're selling kegs of draft beer, or if you're selling an innovative new machine um, for the on-premise, is variety is key. And our Mm -hmm. retailers, so bars um, and uh, grocery stores, as well as consumers, are looking for as much variety as we can. So that's where we pull in some of our repertoire understanding to say, if we group these brands together, we're more likely to get engagement overall because we're giving people more options. Mm -hmm. So I think it depends on what your objective is. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes it makes sense, and sometimes you just want to – a soccer activation that's all about Heineken lager. Yeah, yeah. So you started talking a little bit about sort of partnerships that you have with either uh, events or other uh, organizations. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Sort of how how do your partnerships then also influence how you think about innovation in your process? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I think it, it depends on um, how you want to use your partnership. Mm -hmm. And I would say our partnerships are an awesome asset for us. They don't always uh, specifically impact our innovation because we see a 360 great brand plan. Mm -hmm. You think about a brand like Tecate. So we have the the big fight in Vegas coming up this weekend. That is all about Tecate original and Tecate light. Um, And when I think about innovation for Tecate, it's all about how I can get into new occasions, Mm -hmm. new consumption moments, new categories that we feel like potentially won't be covered in some of our standard um, partnerships that we have. So Mm -hmm. um, we have some really exciting stuff coming out for next year, not all of which I can share just yet, but (laughs) we do think um, on the Heineken brand we'll have some innovation that will allow us to unlock new partnerships. Um, But Typically, our standard partnerships, really soccer for Heineken, mm-hmm. college football for Dos Equis, and boxing for Tecate, yeah. are all about leveraging our core brands, right. um, as we know those are the most relevant in those moments. Okay, great. Uh, for those of you just tuning in, uh, you're listening to Mastering Innovation on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Nikolai Zigoko, and I'm speaking with Jenna Berra, and who's the Senior Director of Innovation at Heineken USA. Um, Jenna, you already kind of alluded to that obviously the regulatory setup in the U.S. is quite different than from other countries, uh, let's say in in Europe. Uh, At the same time, you are a global company, right? And so you can probably run experiments all over the world and you have brands that are all over the world. So how much are you able sort of to use what you learn in other markets, let's say in Europe or in Asia, to, to the market in the U.S.? A ton. So we are super closely linked in with our global commerce innovation colleagues. And um, a lot of the stuff that we're experimenting with abroad is all about going direct to consumers. Mm-hmm. So we have new propositions, um, which are all about e-commerce driven solutions to be able to execute. Mm-hmm. Now, when we take those same concepts here, it just gets a bit more complicated. But we have found through, if you can see some inspiration coming out of Europe of 
this is a, a innovation that has really worked well. We can then take it to our amazing legal department and say, <laughs> what are ways we could yep. unlock it here? Right. So I'll give you one specific example. Um, the sub, which is this, this yep. beer machine I mentioned before. In Europe, we have um, a property called the sub.com. Um, and we sell beer directly to consumers. Now, here, that's just not going to be possible. Um, but we found a great way with um, building a world called Draft for Home, which is totally within the, the three-tier system. We source the beer um, from retailers within the U.S., and we're able to execute the same concept, and mm -hmm. the consumer doesn't know the difference. It right. just takes more work on the back end. Mm -hmm. So um, it's definitely a really interesting challenge, and especially, as you mentioned, I came from Pepsi before, never had these challenges. Right, right. So it makes uh, execution more interesting, and it makes you make sure that before you do something, you've really validated that it makes sense because it's just going to take yeah. a bit more work to execute in the end. So, so I saw that uh, Heineken has an Amazon Dash button in the UK. Um, we don't have that yet here, do we? We don't. <laughs> And that's probably sort of a similar, similar problem, right, of how to, how to make the back end work. And then still stay within the regulatory framework. Yeah, and I mean, listen, we're all waiting to see what Amazon does with alcohol. Right. Um, lots to come there, and we are, we're certainly involved and in having conversations with them, but also just very interested in, yeah. in how that will all unfold. Right. Interesting. Um, so, one part, of course, what customers want is, as you said, personalization. Uh, the other thing that customers want is fast response. Right. So. Um, I, I want my beer ideally now. <laughs> uh, and uh, so we can maybe talk a little bit about how you've managed kind of that part, let's say, at the, in, the, in the draft for home uh, uh, environment. Uh, and the third one is ideally we'd like to even anticipate, right, sort of our needs of our customers. Um, what are some activities kind of along those paths that you've at least sort of been thinking about? Sure. I mean, a big one for us is, is certainly uh, the health and wellness space. So um, beer in general is seeing the success of um, brands like Michelob Ultra, who have really tapped into what health means from a beer perspective. So we're really interested in tracking what does health and wellness mean long term um, in the beer market. So when people think of beer today, they don't traditionally think of something healthy. And right. I'm not going to come out with a protein beer for you that has added health benefits because that's not credible. Yeah. But there are things that we are seeing from other categories and other countries of people being able to execute new products in a way that have different benefits or take away certain aspects that allow us to get into new consumption occasions. Mm -hmm. So we're doing a lot of work there a lot of thinking globally on how we continue to make beer relevant as consumers become more health savvy in the mm -hmm. future. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's kind of on the, on, the, on the macro side, kind of anticipating potential needs as, as you say, sort of some macro trends are changing. Uh, I was thinking more kind of on the occasion side even, right? So uh, ideally my uh, fridge is always stocked, right, <laughs> with beer or uh, ideally you even know that my party is coming up and boom, here is is uh, kind of at least an, an offer, if not even the kegs arriving on my doorstep. Um, is there something kind of that, that you're thinking about along, along those lines? And again, thinking about Amazon as, a, as an example that is sort of pushing also in this direction for other items. 
Definitely. I mean, I think it takes traditional retail thinking and it just begs the question of what does it mean in the digital world? So for a long time, we've spent a lot of time with our sales colleagues saying we need the right pack at the right price in the right store, Mm -hmm. right? So when you go into a convenience store, you're most likely going to drink that product that day. So a big 36-pack of beer probably makes less sense than a single-serve can that you can get cold out of the fridge. The same principles apply in the digital world. They're just hyper, right? So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, if we can anticipate that you have chips and soda and streamers in your basket, it's probably more likely that you're going to want a 24-pack of Heineken than a 6-pack of Heineken mm-hmm. because those um, those are indicative of, of a party ahead. So um, we're applying those principles to a lot of the work that we're doing in digital generally, but it, it goes back to very standard sales principles, which is all about how do we make sure we have the right brand of beer based on your consumption behavior that you've shown in the past in the right channel at the right price. And that's what all retailers and brewers are trying to do um, in different ways. Yeah. And so I think kind of linking that with what you were sort of just talking about of maybe thinking about new needs in different occasions. I mean, there's sort of this interesting potential feedback loop now also from the more we learn about the customer's we might be actually changing the product portfolio that we have, right? That may give us actually ideas for innovation, right? Sort of to this point, it felt a bit more like, okay, so we have all of these brands, you know, how can I get the right brand to the right customer? But as we now learn more about the customers, maybe the question is what new brands should we develop or what new versions of uh, uh, products under particular brands should we offer, right? Exactly. What new benefits are we seeing are relevant to them and how do we integrate them into our brands? Yeah. Interesting. Now, um, both PepsiCo and Heineken are very large organizations, uh, and quite often we know that large organizations are not particularly good at innovation for various reasons. So how do you manage kind of innovation in you know, PepsiCo or let's I'll say Heineken, right? How, how do you create innovation in these large organizations? It's been interesting. I've now been in various sort of brand and innovation roles for for a decade, and it's been interesting to see how the startup culture has really affected how we think about innovation. So previously it used to be if you came up with an idea which was purple Heineken, we would spend a lot of time and a lot of money with a lot of research agencies trying to figure out whether or not that was a good idea before we launched it ultimately. Mm -hmm. Today, that feedback can be done much faster, which allows you to shut down bad ideas Mm -hmm. and build good ideas even faster. Um, And so that has really, at Heineken, our principle is all about build, measure, learn. Mm -hmm. So if you have a concept and you think it's a good idea, what is the fastest and cheapest way you can get a real human to answer whether or not they would like it? Mm -hmm. How do you learn from that? And how do you continue to build? Um, So we're utilizing a lot of digital tools to be able to give us that feedback loop. And very candidly, whereas before we were inspired by other large companies, I'm now inspired by the Harry's razors of the world or um, other small nimble companies that are able to use data to really test and learn what is my consumer going to like, what is their problem, and how can I solve that problem? So we're looking for innovative ways to test our innovation earlier so that we get earlier feedback and ultimately a better end result for the consumer. Right. But now is the problem that now you've come up with this wonderful uh, 
new idea and now you have a big operations part of your <laughs> of your business that you now need to convince right um how is that working so there's one is the idea generation and you're testing some of ideas and and i think that, that that's great but quite often then there is sort of the handing this over to the guys who run the vats right and who run the production lines and say, so, well gosh here's jenner again wants a purple uh, <laughs> a purple heineken so so how do you uh, how do you manage that transition because i think that's quite often where We've seen sort of corporations having a hard time, right? Because uh, they have these established processes in place, and we've got our efficiencies, uh, and now that runs sort of a bit counter to all of this sort of innovation uh, culture that's maybe happening in another part of the company. The answer is you bring in a lot of cookies to make people <laughs> feel better about the good, crazy stuff you're asking. Good them haircuts to do. and cookies, all right. Exactly. You know, the, uh, no, I, I think it's the same principle yeah. applies. Listen, we, uh, Heineken USA, um, we are an importer, so we have breweries all around the world. Mm -hmm. So it makes it more difficult than it used to be at Pepsi, where I could walk on over to my R&D lead and say, hey, this is what we're looking at. For Heineken, it's a more complicated, longer-term supply chain. But yeah. as you say, like any big company, we have really expensive machines that are really good at producing 12-ounce Heineken bottles. And if I want the bottle to end up being triangular, yeah. it creates a big operational complexity. Right. The answer is we're looking for more nimble operation solutions mm -hmm. in the same way that we're looking for innovation solutions. Yeah. So um, in our plant in um, Monterey, Mexico, we have a pilot brewery. And so that allows us to do small batch production, whereby we can get some really good learnings mm -hmm. and not necessarily have to build a new brewery every time we want to do something. Yeah. In addition, we also have partners that are more nimble than perhaps some of our breweries are that, again, are really good yeah. at doing 12 packs of Heineken. So if we can outsource, hey, we have this crazy idea, it's a new packaging concept, maybe we run it with a partner mm -hmm. for a year, we get the actual input of how it does, and then we ultimately can say we've now validated that, and then we bring it back into the line. So um, I think it's the same principle of build, measure, learn. It's yep. just more dollar signs you're talking about when you talk about operational plants than versus uh, consumer insights on my end. Yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, in in your uh, time at uh, Heineken trying to right, create all of this uh, innovation, so what, what has been maybe one of the biggest challenges or roadblocks that you need to had to overcome kind of to – instill maybe this culture or get the right people or convince others? What, what has been sort of the biggest challenge for you? I think in general, um, beer, beer is in a tough spot right now. So mm -hmm. the beer category has been flat to slightly declining for, for a couple of years. And so in situations like that, people can be more focused on what I would call incremental innovation mm -hmm. than transformative innovation. And for The, the purpose of your last question, incremental innovation, making a cooler pack of Heineken is easier yeah, to do of course. than uh -huh. a brand new technology. Um, everybody feels more comfortable with it. There's less risk associated with it. But if you look at companies that have been able to really rise above as it relates to innovation, they've taken pretty big risks. Mm -hmm. So um, my team here is really focused on how do we create the future, and with that, how do we do some crazy stuff that, candidly, either is going to be huge mm -hmm. or is going to totally bomb. Mm -hmm. And I think creating a culture 
whereby people accept that risk yeah. is one of the biggest challenges in innovation at any big CPG, no right. matter where you yeah. are. Um, so again, as much as we can learn and validate upfront in a controlled environment so that it makes those decisions a little less painful, mm-hmm. that'll help. But um, I'm really excited about some of the stuff that we're going to be bringing out um, next year, the year after, and years to come. And it's all about we are still going to do cooler packs because they're important, but we're also going to do big transformative innovation Mm -hmm. because we need to, because the category itself is suffering at the hands of other categories like wine and spirits who are taking more risks. Can you tell us a little bit about sort of how you work together, we, we started out a bit this earlier, with other parts of Heineken around the world, right? Because you are the Senior Director of Innovation in USA. I, I assume there are other similar positions around the world. You all run these experiments. Kind of how do you make sure we're not reinventing the wheel or how can make, do we make sure kind of we, we uh, learn from each other? So, yep, there's a centralized innovation function that sits in Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. And they're called Global Commerce Innovation, and they are responsible for developing propositions that will be relevant to the, to the globe. And then we take them and we execute here mm-hmm. based on local market insights. So there are some innovations that are developed centrally, whereby I'm just an active participant in how do we make sure this is relevant to the U.S. market, um, and how is it executed, especially within our legal constraints here. Yeah. But there are also innovations that happen country by country specifically. Mm-hmm. So um, it's a pretty decentralized model. So the innovation directors will be doing both pulling from global technologies as well as creating their own country-specific pipelines. And the global teams in Amsterdam help to move those concepts around. So yeah. if there's a a great idea coming out of one country, hey, you guys should think about this as well. So it's all about how we can lift and shift things as easily as Mm -hmm. possible um, and using some of our global functions to facilitate that. Great. So one last question here. Um, You mentioned earlier kind of you kind of try to stay abreast of different trends and customer uh, needs. Uh, Of course, technologies are evolving. The whole retail space is evolving how do you stay sort of current with, with all of these developments, right? So if all our listeners kind of try to stay abreast of what's happening in their own industries, how do you do that in your industry? You go to bars. You have beers. <laughs> you, talk you have to people. the best job. <laughs> but listen, it's, it, it really is, uh, again, like we used to, as marketers at big CPGs, we used to hire companies to come in and tell us what the cool things that were going on in the, in the world were. Yeah. And I think it, it truly is these days. It's about getting out there. It's about speaking to people about why they're doing the things that they're doing. When they tell you they're doing something, but you see a contradiction, it's about probing there. And there's great sources in the industry that can help consolidate some of that thinking and publications that you can read about where things are going. Mm -hmm. I specifically am really interested in sort of niche trends that we see popping up. So what are new grains that people are brewing with? Or um, you may have seen that our our, uh, partners at Lagunitas came out with a a cannabis beer. Like what Mm. what does that mean (laughs) for the future of Mm -hmm. the industry? Mm -hmm. I I can't even wrap my head around that. So. I think it's really about personal exploration. I encourage my team to really be getting out and and talking to people and seeing things in the market for themselves. 
um, and then also using great resources that we have here to be able to consolidate some of that thinking. But to work in innovation, you have to be curious. Mm -hmm. You have to be asking why people are doing the things that they're doing. Um, and it's ultimately just about solving consumer problems. Who yeah. is your customer and, and what do they need and how can you supply them with a solution? Great. Jenna, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. No problem. Thanks so much for having me. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.